Hey church, I hope you are having a blessed uh, Lord's Day and uh, just want to wish everyone happy Resurrection Day. This is the day where we um, acknowledge that our Lord rose from the grave and uh, defeated death and sin uh, for us. And it's a wonderful day to uh, remember that. Uh, we, we, of course, try to remember that every single uh, Lord's Day, every single Sunday. Um, in fact, every single day uh, we walk in triumph because of what the Lord has done for us. And uh, even more so today, we can uh, just rejoice that he is in heaven at the right hand of God interceding for us. So uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful day to uh, be a Christian and it's a wonderful day to serve him. Now, I know it's not your, our typical um, Sunday where we're together and, and we're here in the building, but you know we are together in spirit. We're united in Christ. And I hope that this uh, sermon here is a blessing to you. Uh, we're continuing our walk through uh, the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 12, and today we are looking at verses 1 through 11. And uh, I want to talk to you about humility and love today. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and read, and uh, after that we'll get into the passage. So John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And God's Word says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, who, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, uh, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, uh, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Jesus to death as well, because on the account of him, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So that is the word of the Lord today, and uh, that's what our passage is going to be on. Um, as I read that passage, there are attributes that are mentioned um, in there that are very important, and those attributes I want to focus on today. But before I get there, if I were to ask you uh, to think of some uh, attributes that are essential for um, true worship of God, I want to ask you what comes to mind? What exactly, what attributes come to mind? And, and there are several good ones um, there, there are some that, not, not necessarily in this passage, but there are good ones to, uh, to think about and, and, and to practice in our own life. Um, number one, courage. Uh, courage and endurance. Those are extremely important attributes for the Christian to practice every single day. Uh, courage gives us uh, the ability to share God's word with other people, especially with people who don't necessarily want to hear it from us. Uh, we, God gives us courage in order to do that. Uh, courage is there, it's helpful in the raising of a family. 
uh, raising them according to God's word. It takes courage to do that. Uh, endurance. We need endurance for the grind. The Christian life is a grind, and we need endurance to be able to do what we do on a daily basis. Uh, there's also strength and faith. Strength is needed just because of our adversary that we face. Uh, faith. Faith is the beginning of everything, right? We can't do anything without faith. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need strength and we need faith. We also need truth and we need patience as well. Truth helps us to be accurate about, uh, about when we talk to God or about God when we talk uh, about him to others. Um, patience is needed just for everything in life and that's something that we all need to grow in. So I mentioned these things because I think that these attributes come uh, to the mind first and foremost. Uh, these are things that I think that many people wish uh, that, they, that they were mature in and that they displayed every single day. And all these attributes are, are good and godly. But there are two attributes that are found in our text that are just as essential uh, for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And these attributes are humility and love. Uh, those two, again, are essential for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, I'd like to look at these attributes in the light of our text today. I, I want us to see how these attributes play out, and uh, I want us to see um, how they play out in faith, and how if we do not live by faith or do not live by the Spirit, how we can kind of um, derail these attributes and actually do the opposite thing uh, that we want to do. So I, I also want to use our text to show you the difficulty we can have in displaying these attributes on a consistent basis. Um, there is difficulty in that just because of, of our sin and also dealing with the sin of other people. Now, in our story, there are three different uh, perspectives that are given. Uh, on one side of the story, we see a beautiful act of humility and love. And we see that coming from Mary Magdalene. She really sets the stage for the Christian. And uh, she sets the stage for the Christian and, and how we should walk like her and how we should be humble and, and, and um, loving uh, like she was in this instance. Now, she doesn't set the, set the stage like, like Christ would. She's not a perfect example of that, but in, in this act of humility and love, it's a great example for us, and we have to acknowledge that. Um, on the other side of the story, we have Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot, he, he sets the stage uh, for disobedience. He sets the stage for the opposite of humility. All we see in him is greed. And then also coupled with him are the Jewish religious leaders. And they, they set the stage not for greed, uh, but for hatred. So you have Mary Magdalene who, who uh, is, is, is humble and who is loving. And then on the other side, you have Judas Iscariot um, and also the Jewish religious leaders. Judas Iscariot, yeah, he is not humble. He is the opposite of humble. You see greed. You see a lot of pride in him. And then you see with the religious leaders, you see hatred for Jesus and not only for Jesus, but those who are closely associated with Jesus. So um, our, our passage is very helpful because we get, to, um, we get to see how these attributes actually play out in the lives of these people. 
uh, through, this, uh, through this instance and through this passage. And we get to see where these attributes actually take each person and what causes them to respond in the way they do. So I want to take a closer look at these attributes and um, or at these people, actually, and then uh, go from there. Um, Verse three, uh, verse three is where we see humility and love. Now, the key here, though, is that humility and love, they don't sustain themselves. Uh, Humility and love, they come from God. And like everything else does, but they come uh, in faith. Humility and love come to us from faith. And before we get there, I just kind of want to set up the scene. In our passage, we see that Jesus is in Bethany, and he's there for two reasons. Number one, he's there for the Passover. Uh, Bethany was just a few miles away from Bethany, uh, from uh, Jerusalem, and that's where everyone made their pilgrimage to was to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so Jesus is there in Bethany, and uh, while he's there for the Passover, uh, he is there to have dinner. And he's there to have dinner with Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And they are having a dinner just for Jesus. And, uh, you know, Jesus, we know that a couple chapters ago, actually chapter 11, John chapter 11, which was uh, the chapter before this one, uh, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And now... Lazarus's family is having a dinner in honor of Jesus. I mean, that's the least you can do for someone who raised your brother from the grave. And uh, that's exactly what is happening here. And that's what our text tells us. Now, during dinner, we see that the sisters are busy. Um, They are busy just, uh, you know, serving people. And actually, the passage says that Martha is serving people. And Mary is focused on Christ. Now, I, I don't want to give Martha a hard time because I think she was focused on Christ too. Uh, she was just focused on, uh, on serving people there at the dinner that they, were, that they had prepared for Jesus. Um, but there is something about uh, what Mary is doing that is uh, very uh, peculiar and, and, and beautiful at the same time. She is focused on Christ. And then we see Lazarus, who is relaxing with Jesus at the table. Uh, the Bible says that he was reclining with Jesus at the table, and we see that in verse 2. Now, we get a picture of Jesus and Lazarus sitting at the table, and they're kind of just reclining backwards where their feet are in front of them. And uh, that was customary for them to sit that way whenever they were eating dinner. It wasn't like when we sit down at a table, we have chairs and everything, and we sit down, and we're really not reclining back. Uh, but they were. And this kind of sets the stage for uh, Mary as she comes in. And the Bible says that while they were reclining, uh, she, Mary comes to him, and she comes to him with a very expensive jar of perfume. And this a very expensive jar of perfume, now, I, 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 it's not an exaggeration when I say it was expensive, it was extremely expensive. Uh, the Bible talks about it being 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii was basically an average uh, worker's annual wage. That's basically what it was, uh, 300 denarii. Um, the one thing to consider is that uh, the, the Jews weren't really paid for working the Sabbath. That was not included in their check. So they were paid basically 300, around 300 days. And so that was an average person's uh, salary 
So this, this jar of perfume was extremely expensive. Thinking about, think about you going to the store and you buying a perfume that equals the amount of an average person's salary today. Um, it's just crazy to think of how expensive it was. Now, what she did was no ordinary thing for a host to do. Uh, I, I, I don't want us to read this passage and think, well, okay, well, maybe that was customary in that day. Um, in no way was this ordinary or was this a custom that, that people would follow on the regular basis. Um, first of all, if, if a host did anoint somebody, usually they would anoint the head of the person. And that was to be a, 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 a display of humility and love for somebody. This was extraordinary because uh, she did not anoint the head of Christ, but she anointed his feet. And to go even further than that, she not only anointed his feet, but uh, she anointed his feet and uh, rubbed the perfume in with her hair. I was very uncommon for a woman in those days to let her hair down in public. Uh, but for her to do this and use her hair to uh, anoint the feet of Jesus, again, this was ex- extremely rare. And uh, this was an extreme uh, act of humility and love. Now, one thing that we have to acknowledge or we have to think about is, is you know, we may look at this passage and we may think, well, she was just showing off. Um, but that doesn't seem to be true. That doesn't seem to be the fact. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus approved of what she was doing. Judas tried to stop her, and Jesus said, no, let her do it. Uh, so it wasn't that she was showing off, because, because we know that Christ approved of what she did, and we know that Christ, if she was just showing off in front of everybody, we know that Christ would have called her out on it, because he knows what's in man, right? We know that from earlier in John, where he can see the heart of man. He can see not only the act, but also the intent of what someone wants to do. And so we know, because he approved of it, that her actions were, were humble and they were loving. And she did it as an act of worship to Jesus. Now, um, Mary, Mary sets, as I said before, she sets the example for all believers here. And I firmly believe that. Worship of God begins with faith. And I'm, I'm not doubting that at all. I'm not saying that humility and love are worth more than faith. As I said before, faith is where it starts. Without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. But if we start worship with, of God with faith, I'm here to tell you that humility and love follow closely after. Now, this woman, Mary, she was so appreciative of what Christ did for her family in raising Lazarus from the grave um, that she expressed her appreciation to her Lord not only in words, but also in deed. You know, it, it, we, when we express our appreciation to our Lord in words, there's nothing wrong with that. But but God doesn't just want our words from us. He wants our obedience as well. And she couples these two uh, very well together. You see her not only in word, but also in deed. Uh, she is worshiping and she is praising her Lord with humility and also uh, with love. 
Now, if we think about, I just want us to pause here and think about something very important. You know, when we think about Mary and we think about why she's doing what she's doing with Christ, well, Christ raised her, 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 her brother from the grave. And if you go back to John chapter 11 and you read through that, um, you can see how much that affected them. And, and of course, you know, having your, a, a loved one pass away is going to affect anybody. But she saw what Christ did and she understood the spiritual ramifications of, also, of what he did also. So her being a believer and her knowing that this is her Lord and Savior, we can see why she acted in the way that she acted. Um, She wanted to serve her Lord in humility and with love. So let's think about that for a second. Okay, If we think about what the Lord has done for us, right? if we think about what he's done for us, Well, what has he done for us? Well, he has died on the cross for us. He he took our place on the cross. That's exactly what we are celebrating today. The fact that he defeated death, the fact that he defeated sin, the fact that he rose from the grave. But before he rose, he had to die on the cross. So he, he took our sin on the cross so that we would not have to. He faced the wrath of God so that we would not have to. I think that's, that's, that's huge. That's huge for us to, to think about, especially today. We need to think about what the Lord has done for us and, and how his act was the perfect act of humility and love. He did it completely perfect. Now, should, shouldn't we respond with the same humility and love for our Savior? You see, that's why I think that Mary really sets the stage for it. Christ did something wonderful for her. He brought somebody that she loved back from the grave. And, and, and I, I want to say that he did more than that for them. He gave them eternal life because they had saving faith. You see, we're no different than Mary. Christ has done something wonderful for us. So shouldn't we respond in humility and love, in genuine worship of him as our Lord and our Savior? Shouldn't humility and love lead us in not selfish, but selfless, in selfless worship of him, and not only as an act, as a single act, but with our total lives shouldn't we commit our 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 complete life to him in humility and love now if christians were led by humility and love in their worship of god then i can say with confidence that churches would be uh would would be completely busting at the seams and, and I'm not just talking about numbers, but I'm talking about genuine believers just being in the house of God, being with, with other people, and, and just, just really enjoying the fellowship of the Spirit together. If we, were, if we were focused on our humility and love for Christ, churches would be busting at the seams. Not only that, but those same churches that would be busting at the seams 
would have people ministering to one another. I can say that without a doubt. That people would see a need and they would be led by humility and love and they would understand that what they do is not for themselves or really for anybody else, but it is for the Lord. So they would see a need and they would act on that need. If a teaching position needed to be filled, filled they would feel it. If they would fill it. Excuse me. If, if uh, somebody needed groceries, they would supply it. If somebody just needed someone to talk to, uh, someone to counsel them, they would do it. If we were led with humility and love, how we minister to each other would look completely different. So when you start to talk about the effects of, of worshiping um, God with humility and love and what that does for a church, eventually you get to the point where that church is, is completely recognizable in this world. It is a church that you see that is completely set apart and there is no confusion if that is a real church or not. See, the problem we have in, in, in our society today is that there are many churches where you kind of scratch your head and you say, well, wait a second, how are they any different than the world? What are they really doing than just doing stuff? But if we as Christians worship God in humility and love, the church would be set apart. It would look set apart. Um, it is set apart because God has set it apart, his true church. But the world would see it as drastically different. And that's where humility and love would take us. See, those things are not happening, and it's evident that they're not happening, because humility and love are not as prevalent in the church as they should be. And that is a big issue, because we are told throughout Scripture that we need to be people who are humble and people who are loving. In fact, this is how people are to identify us. We are to be humble and loving. Jesus says in Mark 8, 34, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When I read that passage, it reminds me of humility and love because that's what it takes to do what Christ is asking, or not asking, is telling us to do here in Mark 8, 34. Now, my question for you is this. What, what in your life is preventing you from worshiping the Lord with humility and love? What is preventing that? What is getting in the way? What are you prideful about? What are you loving more than the Savior that died for you, gave you real, genuine life? I need you to think about that this morning, and then I need you to repent of that. You know, because we always, we all have something that is competing with our Savior. We all have something. We all put ourselves on a pedestal. We all do things that are prideful. We need to recognize those things and say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about my Savior. So I ask you again, 
What is preventing you from serving the Lord in humility and love? Please really think about that and think about how you will repent from that sin. Now, let's talk about the other side. Now, the other side, we have pride and we have hate. And where, when we see humility and love, we see it generated through faith. And we, we've already talked about that, how those things come by faith. Now we have pride and we have hate, and we see how those things are generated from the flesh. And there are two passages here. Uh, pride is talked about in verses 4 through 6 with Judas Iscariot. And then uh, hate is talked about in verses 9 through 11 with the Jewish religious leaders. I want to take a look at both of those. Um, so when we have, we see Mary, and we've already established her act of, of humbleness and love um, displayed in front of everyone, uh, that, was, that was a great and wonderful thing to see. Now, at the same time this is happening, Judas Iscariot is watching everything. And as the Bible tells us that he responds with the opposite of humility. Now, I want to say that he's not the only one. If you go back and you read the gospel accounts of this story, of, of the, the different gospel accounts of this story, um, they will mention that some of the other disciples also had an argument for what Mary was doing. So he wasn't the only one who, who had an issue with it, but his question was, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And that's what his question was. Well, on the surface, it sounds like a good question. On the surface, it sounds like, well, wow, he's really genuinely concerned about the poor. But remember, this was the man who would later betray Christ. And he would actually betray Christ for a lot less than what is mentioned here. In fact, what he accepted, what is mentioned here is three times more than that. So he would betray Christ for a lot less than in what is mentioned here. And after the fact, we see that the Apostle John, as he's uh, writing this down after the fact, he sees Judas's uh, actions and his words as peculiar. And he makes a special note here for us to consider. And we see that note in verse 6. He, this is what he says about Judas Iscariot. He said, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. That's strong language. Notice he didn't say he's, because he stole. He said he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And that's what we see in verse uh, 6 of, of uh, chapter 12. Now, the fact that John points out that Judas was a thief is really important. Uh, because we know that Jesus, what Jesus said about the devil, Jesus says that the devil is a liar. Not that the devil lies, but he is a liar. And when he lies, he is speaking, basically he is speaking his truth because he is just always lying. Um, so here the text says that Judas was a thief. A liar lies and a thief steals. That's what they do. That is who they are. As we look at Judas Iscariot, we recognize that this was a man who was not led by the Spirit, but who was led by the flesh. And we see where the flesh takes us. Instead of 
instead of taking us to humility where God's spirit takes us as we walk by the spirit, the flesh takes us in the opposite direction and we become prideful people. And then there is another example. We are told of the religious leaders and they they find out after the fact that Jesus is in town in Bethany. So they are searching for him. And they want to come and see Jesus, but not only Jesus, they also want to come and see Lazarus. Lazarus was not on their radar until Jesus raised him from the grave. Now, instead of recognizing what Jesus did as a great and wonderful miracle and seeing that that Christ was not a mere man, but that he was Lord and Savior, instead of recognizing Jesus in this way, um, they, they sought out to kill Christ. And they sought out to kill Christ because he was a threat to their own power. So we see that um, playing out here in, in, in this passage. Not only were they planting or were they planning to uh, put Jesus to death, they were also making plans to put Lazarus to death. That's what, I, I, that's what I meant by Lazarus not being on their radar until, until Jesus raised him from the grave. Uh, they had so much hatred for Jesus that they were ready to put Jesus to death and also Lazarus to death. Because scripture says in verse 11, because on account of him, speaking of Lazarus, many of the Jews were believing in Jesus. So again, uh, they had so much hatred for Jesus. They had so much uh, love for themselves. They wanted to make sure that their lives were not changed by anything. They wanted just to be rid of Jesus and anyone who was associated with him. And so they had plans to kill them both. They became murderers. They just didn't kill somebody. They became murderers because they were led by hatred for Jesus. Like Judas, these men, we can easily see that they were being led by the flesh as well. These were not men who were being led by the Spirit of God. Now, as we look at both sides of the story, we have, uh, we have Mary Magdalene who acted in faith and who acted in humility and love towards her Savior And it was counted to her as genuine worship. She walked in the spirit and that was that was the final product. That was the outcome. Now, on this other side, we have Judas Iscariot and we also have the religious leaders and they walked in the flesh. And they became uh, prideful and they became hateful. Now, the question for us or actually, the statement for us, is that as Christians, we must be careful. We must be extremely careful. Pride and hate are crouching at our door. We as Christians, we must fight against them every single day. Our hearts are idol factories. We're always looking to put ourselves on the pedestal. We want the best life now. We want everything for ourselves. Pride and hate are crouching at our door. 
We must not let them have us. We have to fight the good fight. We have to realize that this life is more than about us. That the life we live now, we live for the Son of God who gave his life for us. So we have to be very, very careful. We must resist pride, hate, and any other sin for that matter. We must resist them standing firm in our faith. Now, instead of walking in the flesh, instead of letting uh, pride and hate um, lead us and drive us uh, to sin, Christians should walk by the Spirit because the Spirit will lead us to humility and love and also a lot of other wonderful attributes that are good and godly. I hope we can all appreciate the difference between being spirit-led and being led by the flesh. Walking in the Spirit leads us to be more like Christ. That's what we should all aspire, to be more like Christ. Our prayer should be that he increases and we decrease. So walking in the Spirit leads us to be more like Christ in humility and love. But walking in the flesh leads us to be disobedient. And eventually, if we are not careful, it leads to spiritual death, like Judas and the religious leaders. There's a passage that I want to share with you that comes from uh, the epistle of uh, Ephesians. And it's a wonderful passage about the life of Christ and how we should imitate him. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, therefore, be imitators of God. You see, as Christians, we are to be imitators of God. We are to do as God did. It says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You see, I share that verse with you today because that verse is the epitome of humility and love. Again, that's what we should aspire to be. That's the example that we need to follow. We need to be like our Lord and Savior. Now, the reason why I mentioned that verse, because it talks about what Christ did as a fragrant offering. Um, I just I love the way that sounds. You think of a fragrance, you just think, you think of something that lingers behind. It's just a wonderful, wonderful smell. And um, I look at the end of verse three as well um, in John chapter twelve. The end of verse three. Let me read that to you again, really quick. It says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now listen to this. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I like that verse. In fact, I love that verse because as I sit there and I listen to the, how impactful that verse is, I think about how after she was done, anointing his feet. Yeah, this, this was real aroma from the perfume, but I also think about spiritually what's happening here in this room. 
and how the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume that she used. But not only that, not only that, but I, I, I come to appreciate how, how her act of humility and love, how it was a sweet, lingering reminder of what beautiful, authentic worship is. Let me ask you this. What fragrance do our works produce? What fragrance are we leaving in our worship of God? Is it a sweet, lingering fragrance that people can be edified by spiritually? Or is it repulsive? Because it's not genuine. As I said before, I know there are things in your life that you can identify that lead you to pride and lead you to hatred. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent of those things. And we need to seek the Lord in humility and in love. I pray this was a blessing to you. And I pray that you and your family are well today and also for the rest of this week. Um, we, uh, Pastor Laramie and myself, we miss y'all dearly, and we're trying our very best uh, to feed, our, feed God's sheep um, through technology, uh, through uh, using virtual equipment, and we just pray that it's, it's being a blessing to you all. We'll be praying for you if you would please be praying for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Bye-bye.